Hey everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. On today's episode, we are excited to be welcomed by Gable Bradley. Now, Gable's journey in music began with his two brothers, Spencer and Tucker. They formed a band, the Gable Bradley Band, in their late teens, early 20s, and toured around the local Arkansas area, their home state. They grew quite a fan base before Gable really got the itch to chase his dreams on a much larger scale, and he moved to Nashville. Now, Spencer still plays in his band, and the two are chasing this musical dream together, which has included the release of Gable's debut EP, Born Ready, earlier this year. So please enjoy our conversation with Gable Bradley. I saw you mention that I think your grandparents on your mom's side actually ran with the carnival back in the day. And I wanted to ask you about that and that history of the family and maybe how that ties into your sort of free spirit that you have within this music career. Isn't that wild? Isn't that crazy? Sounds like something out of a movie, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So my mom's parents, uh, you know, were raised during the Great Depression. And uh, my mom's mom was from the outside Toronto area, Canada, and then made her way south. And then her dad was originally from California. But uh, yeah, they they eventually linked up. They were both super, super hard workers, Um, came from nothing, you know, built everything they had, basically. Um, and, uh, they got linked up in the carnival circuit back in the day and made a living on the road. Um, I'm pretty sure my mom's dad, he, uh, eventually was like running his own, um, like circuit, uh, managing managing the whole like ground. Um, and, uh, my mom's mom was such a character. I never met my grandpa, uh, but, uh, my mom's mom was such a character. I grew up around her and uh, she lived with us for a time. And she was such a, just uh, <laughs> all or nothing kind of person, you know, good, good and bad. Um, she came, she had a, she had a big heart. Um, but uh, you never knew like what, like if whatever she was saying, you never knew if it was the truth or a lie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and uh, just an interesting, interesting woman. Um, it was so cool growing up around her, but I never really knew about her, her past too much until later on in life when my mom, you know, told stories and everything. But anyway, yeah, they made a living on the road. And, and you know, my mom growing up, she wanted nothing but normal, you know, after that upbringing. Right, yeah. So we were raised in a very, you know, steady, normal household. But uh, I think I always had that that calling that, calling for the road that calling to be gone and on the move. And, um, it turned out I was right. So that's what I'm doing now, you know, make the road. Exactly. And now within music growing up within that steady household was music, something that was around was a big part to life as you were growing up. Yeah. My parents loved music. It was always like playing in our house. Um, my mom and dad loved John Denver. Oh, okay. Him very like early on. Um, my dad loved like old, like classic rock and roll, you know, Led Zeppelin, ACDC, you know, CCR, stuff like that too. Um, and then music for me started when uh, my mom bought a, uh, she always wanted like a big baby grand piano, like old Southern style 
just for like furniture, you know, in the house. Um, And I can't remember how old I was when I started like banging on that thing, but I had never been to the the damn thing was probably a hundred years old. And and, uh, she's like, maybe we should put him in lessons, you know? So I think it was around like third grade or something like that. Right. Yeah, I think so. I think I saw that it was third grade. And I wanted to ask you about that because a lot of people I talk to when they're put into lessons is something they don't enjoy. And it's sort of a chore when they have to do it. So for you at that point, do you remember, was it something that you enjoyed sort of learning the theory behind music or did you just want to play? I think both. I think for me, it was a blessing. I had a really good piano teacher and she was, uh, she wasn't the typical, like, like old, super old crotchety woman, you know? Right. Yeah. She was, she was young, exuberant and passionate about music. Um, and um, so I think that really helped out a lot on my journey. Uh, there was a lot of times where I wanted to quit. Um, I always wanted to play guitar. I thought that was cooler. Um, but I'm so, so grateful for sticking with piano, man, and and, um, and sticking with the theory. And that I think that just bled all over into everything, music for me, writing and, and the guitar and, and just rhythm and um, yeah, man, I, I'm super, super, super grateful. I stuck with it. My parents made me stick with it. Right. And it wasn't until 17 that you picked up the guitar and started teaching yourself. So what took you so long to sort of pick it up and start learning if it was something that you really uh, looked towards early on in your life? Yeah, I think uh, I think one reason my brother, I've got two younger brothers and they're twins. And then I have an older sister, too. So we have a big family. Right. And everyone had like everyone had like their thing, you know, and oh, um, okay. I think part of me was like, probably you didn't want to step on other people's things and cause, you know, problems. Uh, I just, uh, yeah, I, I probably, you know, at some point was just like to hell with it. I'm going to just check it out and start, you know, banging around on it and, um, I'm really glad that I did because that's that's kind of when writing for me started coming, um, writing songs. Yeah. And how did that come? Like you mentioned listening to John Denver growing up and maybe other songwriters like that. So was that an influence for you or when you got to 17 and more into the songwriting realm of things, was it just a natural thing that sort of came to you? The songwriting for me didn't really come naturally until, uh, I always enjoyed writing. Like I always really enjoyed creative writing and um, classes like that. And, uh, poetry I always read. And, um, I think for me, writing songs really came more natural when I was a little, little older, like 21, early 20s when I had lived some life. Right. Actually talk about, you know, I think a lot of songs you try to write when you're in your teens, or the very um, run-of-the-mill, typical high school songs, you know? I think yeah. I think when you really find out, like, who you are on your bones, you can kind of kind of go say something. Um, but the, uh, you know, some of the songwriters for me that really, really helped me um, find my voice were guys like, I remember hearing Chris Christopherson for the first time, and I was blown away. And, um, Springsteen, I refound him when I was, like, early twenties and Bob Seger and Jackson Brown, 
um, just all these like American poets, you know, that sang about what I was feeling, you know, wanting to get out and see things and go live life. And um, I really connected to that. Right. And now you and your brothers, the three of you played music, you formed a band when you were, uh, you know, in your early 20s. Now, within that, who was the first one to really pick it up seriously? Was there one brother that led the way or did you all sort of just come into it at the same time and sort of connect the dots around the same period? Uh, yeah, I, I would say me for sure. Uh, just being the older brother and being a little older and realizing that's what I wanted to do. Um, but we all had like a knack, you know, when you're playing with siblings, you get like a, it's a thing you can't really replicate, you know, especially your, your vocal harmonies. Um, right. Yeah. It's a thing, you know, sibling harmonies and, uh, yeah, I just, you know, when I left school, when I went up to, when I went up to college, I was playing the bar band scene up there and it, and it came to a point where, I, you know, I was a good student. Um, I just, it came to a point where it was a lot easier for me to go play music than go to class. You know, I told my folks, this is what I wanted to do. And they were super supportive. They believed it, you know, and uh, I just kind of had to figure it out. And so my first, my first thing was, well, I need a band. And I was like, well, my brothers play music, you know? So uh, Spencer and Tucker, their names, they, we, we kind of just started playing, you know, drawing a circle around where we were and playing everywhere in that circle and then just making the circle bigger and um, kind of built a little following around Arkansas and the Southeast. And we did that for like a few years, you know, playing the bar band scene, the cover stuff. And, and as I was doing that, I was writing too. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, one day I was like, I don't want to be a jukebox singer forever, man. Like, I'm grateful for that journey through the, like the bars and the clubs and playing that cover band stuff. Cause you learn how to cut your teeth in front of people who don't want to hear you play. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you went over those crowds every night. So you really learn how to perform and, and, um, work a crowd. And, uh, but I just was like, I gotta go find, you know, what does Gable Bradley sound like? And so that's what, that's what made me move to Nashville. Right. And now before you hit the bar scene, I saw, I was looking on Facebook and I saw from an old post, a family member, I think it was, had posted about you and your brothers playing in the bonus room. Now, I don't know if that was at your house or a family member's house, but I was wondering about those early days of practicing in the bonus room and what that looked like. Man, I hate social media. I was, I was, I was trying to make it when social media wasn't a thing. You know, it's, no one tells you back in the day when all this started, you know, Facebook and everything. Cause I, I can remember when, you know, I didn't get a flip phone. I had a, I had a Nokia brick when I was like 16. And that was like, that was huge, you know, to have a cell phone driving around your truck. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now no one tells you, man, like that paper trail lives forever on the internet. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, you know, we started like every other, you know, musician trying to chase her dream, I guess. You know, you got to start somewhere. We had, yeah. we had our little band rehearsal space and in the bonus room of our house. God knows what you can find on the internet of that stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. And within this journey, I mean, you're in Nashville now and people always say it's a 10-year town. Now, you haven't been there for 10 years, but this journey has been going for 10 years. And I wanted you to take us back to 2012. And there was a venue called, I think it's our, our sagas. 
I don't know if that's how you say oh, it. Our Segas. Yes. Yeah. And now 2012, I believe you started playing sort of open mics there. And I wanted to take us back to that point. And was that sort of the early beginnings of this career? Yeah, very much so, for sure. Um, I actually played a show in Fayetteville, not so Fayetteville, Arkansas is where that's at. And I played there not too long ago. I was open up for, um, oh, I can't remember. Anyway, we're playing the big venue in town. Oh, okay. Uh, I actually went back to that coffee shop and it's like the same. And there was some guy playing on the back patio. He must've been 20 years old, you know, had his tip bucket out. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, that was the first place that let me play um, my original, you know, songs I'd written in my dorm room. Um, humble beginnings, man. But it, like, I think, I think like a lot of things, especially with music or whatever you're trying to do, it's just kind of trial by fire, you know, just got to go, got to go do it, you know? And, and um, I'm super fortunate that that area, you know, was very uh, kind to my, to my young beginnings, you know, let me play and, and uh, kind of figure it out. Right. And now what are those full circle moments like, like you mentioned going back there. And then I also saw that in 2020, you had played the bluebird and you talked about, I believe it was five years before that you had gone to Nashville and you had waited in line to play sort of the open mic singer songwriter night. And you got to play one song. And so what are those full circle moments like along this journey? They're cool, man. I mean, they're cool. Uh, I'm playing the bluebird and, next week july 7th i think oh was, nice you know like on the bill and this town is really special because it's one of those places to to where you can truly make your dreams happen you know um i think if you give it's kind of like you just you give it all you can and it gives back eventually um hopefully <laughs> um but it's a, it's a cool moment every time something like that happens you know the, like the bluebird thing was cool i remember yeah standing in line waiting just to to play an open mic there because when i moved to town the bluebird was a you know like a mecca of the home of songwriting you know um and now there's tons of places to play around town that are that are great for songwriting but that was like the the beginnings of it um so that was cool and uh yeah it never gets old man it's it's it also helps too to where like it's one of those things since there is no like direct path and step-by-step process on how to make it you know you gotta you gotta enjoy the journey and like each step in that process and 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 really taking the time to soak in the, the cool things right yeah and early on in your journey you did have music you and your brothers had eps and albums along the way now, what was that process like? Were you recording those locally or on your own? Or how did that early music come about? Yeah, we recorded in like a, um, in a, in a local studio in Hot Springs. I think it was called Big Event, Muse, Big Event Music, something like that. Um, and um, the local, uh, the, the guy that ran it was super kind to, to me and, and was just, you know, trying to help us out and put something on tape. You know, I think I'd written like four or five songs. I was like, well, I got to go make a record. <laughs> <laughs> so we did that, you know, and, and started 
started uh, selling them in our little shows. That's awesome. And your shows and your band. So Spencer still plays with you. Tucker has sort of moved on and has a family and a day job, I believe. But Spencer is still playing with you. And then also Brandon on drums. It was back in 2014, 2015, you were playing a farmer's market, a local farmer's market back home. And I saw that he was playing with you then. And so I was wondering about the journey that you have with not only your brothers through this musical journey, but also the other members of your band. Yeah, we've been through it all, man. We were actually joking about that yesterday. Me and Brandon were hanging out for his uh, his girl's birthday party, and we were talking about something. And uh, and uh, oh, he was introducing me to another friend of his, and I was like, "Yeah, Brandon, we saw each other go through puberty. You know what I mean? Like it's been like that long. Um, I think we met when we were in sixth or seventh seventh grade, something like that. Oh wow. So yeah, I mean. He was one of the guys where I think uh, I think it was like ninth grade. I was like, you want to start a band kind of thing. He's like, let's do it, you know. And we just we just got bit by the bug, you know. Um, incredible drummer, incredible musician, you know, has his has his uh, like masters in performing arts and percussion. Oh, wow. It's been cool to watch each other's journey like together, but also separate. You know what I mean? So like. My brother and Brandon also play for like for the last six months, I've kind of been held up in Nashville, finishing up this project and promoting it and um, getting things done on the home base before we go on the road a ton this fall. Right. And uh, they've had the opportunity to go play for other really cool big artists in town. So it's been cool to watch their journey and, you know, Brandon playing on big sessions and um, Spencer going on the road with other people playing bass and, it's fun, man. It's fun to root for your for your buddies. And how important has that been to have that group and to have almost a family along with you on this journey and not just sort of be on it on your own with people who are sort of moving in and out of the band all the way along? Uh, it's huge, man. It's, it's such a blessing. Um, or a curse sometimes. So I look at it. <laughs> no, it's great. It's great. It's a... Uh... I think it just makes those moments, you know, even more impactful when you're kind of like, like we got the opportunity to go open up for Leonard Skinner a few yeah. months and like to share that moment with like uh, your boys was pretty cool. That's awesome. What was that show like? I was going to ask you later on, but now that you mentioned it, talk about that show and just the experience of it. And if at the time you can actually process it and understand what's going on or if it's not till after that it sort of kicks in that it happened yeah it's kind of like that it kind of felt like a dream almost you know and then you know you wake up like did we just did we just do that um it was cool man it was very like running gone I, we got the call to open up on like a wednesday and we had to be in nevada like 20 hours later oh wow it was in the, it was like, yeah, just South Las Vegas and Laughlin, Nevada in the desert, this big amphitheater arena thing. And, you know, being, um, being from Arkansas, I grew up on Leonard Skinner, you know, and my whole band loves the band, the Leonard Skinner. So we were just, we were just over the moon, man. So we were, uh, the sound check was cool, you know, but like, it wasn't until we were like all about to walk on stage and there was like, you know, 12,000 people out there. Uh, it's pretty rock and roll, man. And I, I love to like, 
my heroes, no matter how big the venue is, it's like they can turn like an arena into a bar room, you know? Right. Yeah. And they feel so small. And I feel like we did that with that crowd. So it felt really cool. That's amazing. And now let's go back to the Nashville journey in 2016, you made the move to Nashville. Now, what was that transition like for you? Cause you were sort of transitioning out of the band and more into a solo project, I believe at that time. So what was the whole transition like of making that move? Uh, it was tough, but also like the most exciting time of my life. I think just finally jumping in both feet and like, I don't know, man. It's hard to explain because, like, you had this like, like, like vision, right, of your of your dream. And it's like, okay, well, I need to go here to try to make it happen. But like, it never it never feels like tangible, almost. Right. Know? Yeah. So once you finally in it, um, it's pretty wild. I was really lucky, you know. Nashville's a cool place because, you know, my my whole thing was it was it was either going to be Nashville, Los Angeles, or New York. I couldn't afford New York. I couldn't really afford LA, even though I love LA, but my car wouldn't make it to California. <laughs> so that's why I went to Nashville. <laughs> and um, Nashville is a place to where if you kind of make an effort to go out and meet people and, and are just kind and genuine, you can really make some great friendships quick, you know, cause it's like everyone's here for a reason, whether right, that's yeah. music or healthcare or, or adver- advertising, whatever, you know, everyone's kind of here to, to chase their dream. You know, it's, it's very cool to like be surrounded with people who want to help you out and like have success and always like look back and like, Hey, I'll help you out, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, so that's really cool thing about Nashville that I think that's different than like LA. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, I, I got here and it was very much the cliche story of, all right, well, I got to work like two part-time jobs to make rent, try to make it happen, you know? And at that point, now I saw you mention, I think it was La Dolce Vita. It was like an event planning job that you had. It's a, it's a, it was a beach service company. Okay. Now was that when, what point was that? Cause that, that wasn't in Nashville, was it? No, 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 no. I, I, I moved down there to work a, a season of beach. I love the coast. I love the water. Um, and I moved down to the Florida panhandle to work for this beach service company for a season. Oh, okay. Um, moved to Nashville and I saved up a bunch of money um, and, and kind of floated on that when I first moved to town. What was that season like? Because I mean, looking at your socials, if I didn't know any better, I would almost assume that you are from Florida or California because of your draw towards the coast and towards that lifestyle. So where did that draw come from? I don't know, man. Uh, You know, like my, my family visited the coast a lot growing up Um, and where I'm from hot springs, Arkansas, there's a lot of lakes. Um, I worked on a boat dock in high school in the summertime. Um, I just, yeah, I feel like, you know, the coast for me makes my like creative heart pump harder. You know, I feel like just the salt water kind of washes all the way, the, the bloat of all the industry away, you know, it just kind of evens everyone out. And 
I've always had it, man. I've, I've always loved the water. You know, I learned to dive when I was a young teenager. Um, you know, I, I really like to surf and just the, the energy around the water and the people I vibe off of, you know. And so within this career, is that an awesome part to it? Is that it allows you to have that freedom to go enjoy the coast and come back and you're not tied to one place? Yeah, very much so. I think that's what's turned me on the most about this. You know, like you, I mean, <laughs> I don't care how, you know, rich and famous you get, you know, everyone's just a, everyone's just a greasy carny going from town to town, putting up their circus and playing for the people, you know, that's it. And uh, the lights might be bigger for some people, but you're doing the same thing, man. And so, but that, that turns me on. Like I dig that. I dig seeing a new city all the time and I dig just being on the move, man. And, and yeah, it's nice too. My job allows me when I come home to Nashville, I like to still get out of Nashville. And when I, I love to go write, you know, take retreats. And that's when I wrote most of this EP, um, you know, going down to, you know, out or going out to Malibu in California or going down to the Florida Panhandle and, and writing. Right. And within writing, I mean, back in the day when you had your band with your brothers, I believe that you did most of the writing, just solo writing. And so when you moved to Nashville and got more into the co-writing scene, what has that transition been like for you? Oh, it's been great. I was so nervous the first few times because it's a weird thing, you know, because it's when you writing has for me started as like a therapeutic, you know, thing for me, um, just writing about life and getting things off your chest or whatever. But when you get involved in the music business and the music scene in Nashville, there's a, there's a almost like a formula sometimes to it. But the big thing for me was I do what I do writing wise, but getting surrounded by like the greats and the people who have been doing it for 20 plus years who have written all kinds of songs, getting in the room with them and then like, loving your idea and loving your vision of the song and then like kind of helped shaping it into what it really could be. It's so cool. It's so, so cool to see in real time. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's been, that's been fun. You know, like I, I saw my first pub deal in 2019 with Brett James and Warner Chapel, Cornman music. And like, I feel like then, like I just, I just flipped a switch, you know, when you're writing five days a week um, with like, incredible songwriters you know mastercraft songwriters it changes a lot on this new album you did get the chance to write with some established songwriters but i also saw that you were writing with some up-and-comers like jason nix you wrote with on this album i just talked to him the other day and so oh, you talked to nix yeah yeah and so what is that balance like of having the experience within some songwriters, but then having some newer songwriters, maybe like yourself, who you can connect with. How'd you like Nick's? He was awesome. He's a great guy. He's a good cat. He is probably yeah. one of the funniest human beings I've ever been around. Um, we've been writing a few times, but yeah, he, uh, we wrote, you always do together with Dan Agee. Um, it's cool, man. It's really cool because Pretty much every hit songwriter I've been with 
older guys and gals, they always check their ego at the door. So it, there's no feeling of like, I mean, there's a feeling of like you want to, like me, I want to be prepared. It's like going into a work meeting or whatever with a boss, you know, like you want to be prepared. You want to be on it. Yeah. <clears throat> you don't want to waste your time, you know? Um, but it's cool because they always check their ego. So immediately it's just like, we're just writing a song, you know? Right. Yeah. So it feels the same almost as when you're writing with just a newcomer as well. Um, and, uh, but then when you start writing that song, you can tell why they're a songwriter. You know, it's cool. Talk about sort of 2020 and 2021. It kind of feels like 2019 was when you really began to come into who you are now. The journey of your music began then. But talk about especially 2021 and the search that you were on for your music, your sound, who you were as an artist, and how important that year was for finding all of that. Yeah, well, I think going back even to 2020, you know, when the world shut down, it got really quiet. And for me, looking back, it probably was like some of the most detrimental, I mean, incremental times to, to my career and path as an artist and songwriter. Um, there would be days where I love, I love riding my motorcycle and I would just take it and I would turn off my phone. I would take it and I would drive for an hour and I would drive for two hours and I would post up and just read or I would journal or I just, it was just so quiet, you know? And I just, uh, all you had was like the voice in you a lot of times. So I started to listen to that a lot more. And, um, when we came out of that pandemic era, I had, you know, we continued to write and everything. Yeah. I had so many songs that were more, I feel like, Gable Bradley songs, like Gable voice songs. Right. Than I had had ever before. So it was, it was huge for me. Um, and then when everything started getting cranked back up again, I was just ready. You know, I was just, I was, I was ready. I was more ready than I thought I was. Um, and so when I went into the studio and picking out the songs for the first project, I knew the problem with songwriting so much is like, I've got 500 songs, you know, in my back pocket, you know, and so when you kind of narrow down the songs, you really have to think about, okay, the cohesiveness of this project or like the timing of, of this project what what is the palette of this project going to be so that's that comes a lot because when you're writing sometimes you're like oh my god i gotta put this out tomorrow i love this you know, yeah the, the time so it's going to be a lot of fun like we're we're going in a cut for the next project already it's coming out this fall and um you know i'm but i've got the songs that are going to be on the third project from now already you know but you're still writing every day so yeah it's crazy that's awesome. And what's it like on an EP, especially when it's your debut music? Because it feels like on an album, a full album, it's easier to tell a story throughout the album. And with an EP, I've talked to people in the past and 
It's like half a book, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And they talk about the fact that on an EP, it's sort of like all bangers. It has to, every song has to hit hard because there's limited songs. So what is that process like of, like you say, creating half a book and being able to tell a story within five or six songs and not just be worried that each one's going to be a hit? Yeah, I think that's the thing what you just said. I think people put themselves in a box when they have to make an EP of all hits. Yeah. Because I think the word hits has messed up a lot of songs. I don't personally know what a hit, hit, you know, like some people hear so like, oh, that's a hit. I think, you know, I think a lot has to do with the melodiness and the catchiness of it, right? But yeah, for me, I just... I look at my projects, especially this first one, Born Ready was very important to me because it was like my first big debut out of Nashville. Um, the sound for me was very, very important. Um, and me and my producer, Dan, we, we spent, I basically lived in his basement for a month <laughs> trying to figure it out. Uh, wow. Like I said, like you have a lot of songs and you're trying to pick and I tried to pick an array of songs that touched each aspect of, of who Gable is. Like, whether that's like Just Another Night, you know, I love Brian Adams and like the Reckless record. And that was kind of my like ode to Brian, you know, it's very anthemic, just wide open, you know. Um, like I said, I love Springsteen, you know, so like a song like Born Ready or Muscle Car, it's got that real breath of Springsteen in it, you know. Right, yeah. I love rock and roll, you know, so like Spade for me was kind of a rock and tune, but all those songs narrated like a, a thread of a story, I feel like, you know, so, and that's why you have a team around you as well, you know, because when you're dealing with artists, a lot of time you're dealing with a basket case. So you're trying, you're trying to figure it out and hopefully have a good crew of people around you to bounce your ideas off of and, and uh, you know, make it happen. Yeah, exactly. Now, Dan Daniel Agi, that's who you produce the album with? Yep, Dan Agi. Yeah, Agi. So talk about him, because I saw in the credits, he played bass, electric guitar, mandolin, percussion, background vocals. He produced the album. Just talk about working with him and the musician that he is and how much that influenced you during the production process. He's a monster. Um it was cool for us because we wrote probably four times before we decided, hey, let's go make this project together. Because I needed someone to really help me steer the ship, but not take over the helm too much. Because I knew where we wanted to, like where I wanted to point it. And Dan, we just clicked sonically, lyrically. I love the way he works. You know, we, we like I said, we, you know, for like pre-production, I was there figuring out sounds and, you know, every time you play a riff, I'm like, oh, I love that. Or nah, you know, that's not cool. You know, whatever. Um, and the way we cut it was like, he's got a really, really nice home studio with tons of gear. Um, and so we cut it kind of half and half. Like we cut it a lot. We did a lot of the guitars. We did uh, a lot of the vocals there and a lot of key stuff. And then we cut live drums, live B3, and some live guitar down at Shannon Forrester's studio, South Nashville. Oh, okay. He was like a world-class drummer. He was on tour with Toto. 
crazy, crazy dude. Awesome. Um, so it was kind of like a merriment of, of, of that, you know, which was cool because we, we got like the contemporary sounds that are coming a lot out of Nashville. And then we also got the organic, like live band tracking, um, in there too. Right. Yeah. And now at the end of the album on born ready, you have the instrumental at the end of the song. And I just, I love it how that wraps up the record in such a powerful way. Now, how did that come about? Was that written with the track or did that just come organically within the studio? That was organic, man. That was me. We had finished, we had cut the song. And I love bands like Kings Leon and Coldplay, how they have like these moments on records that like when you're like, you know, when you're just driving at night and there's no like even vocals, it's just a musical or like a, War on Drugs, that kind of thing. Um, it's just a vibe. And I love those moments on records. And I don't feel like they make it on records a lot in Nashville. Um, and so I was like, I had this like, I was I was in the booth and Shannon and Dan and Dave were out there cutting. And I was like, hey boys, just think of yourself if like 80s rock and roll met Coldplay. Shannon, I want a giant drum fill on the end, see what you can do. And they were like, what? <laughs> what? And I was like, no, just try it. And then they did it. And that, the first take they did is the one that's on the record. Oh, I wow. Think, I think we did it like five more times, but I was like, nah, that first one's it. That's awesome. And so let's talk about the future. You mentioned a lot of fall touring. You've had the chance to open for Lanco and Parker McCollum recently, some big shows, and now you're going to be heading out in the fall. So what does the tour schedule look like and being able to get out there and share this music with the masses? Yeah, man, we're going to be, we're going to just be running. Um, I have a really, really good book engagement in town and I just told them we're, we're ready to go. So uh, we're going to be, there's a couple tours. I can't really say yet that we're going to link up on. And then, uh, as well as like opening slots, we're going to be out with Lanco for a few days in the fall, Parker for a couple more, our brothers Osborne a couple times. Nice. So it's going to be fun, man. Also, I wanted to ask you about uh, Jimmy Fisco, who you work with in your creative elements. And I saw you mention one time just about your love of videos and creating music videos and being able to tell a story with your music. What has it been like in working with him and being able to create these little mini movies with your music? Oh, it's everything, man. I mean, I love film. If I wasn't trying to make it in music, I'd be in LA trying to make it as an actor. <laughs> yeah, I've always been obsessed with film and the way it tells stories. Uh, my mom named me after Clark Gable. I think if there was like a thing, you know, Jimmy's been huge because Jimmy's uh, one of these people in town who's super, super talented, but he's super humble, genuine. We just met his buddies at a bar. Uh, and uh, right when I moved to town, oh, that's a lie. We met, we met an old friend of mine introduced us. I don't remember where, but yeah. So we, uh, we just clicked, man. He's so talented and he's got the same visual palette as me. It's fun to work with like people that see the lens the way you do. We love a lot of the same movies and, and music videos as well. So, And he's also one of my best buddies. So it's been a fun ride together. Thank you. 
Thank you once again so much for listening and thank you to Gable for stopping by and sharing his story. Be sure to check out his debut EP, Born Ready, wherever you stream your music. And don't forget, you can also stream us wherever you stream your music. So head over to your favorite platform, search Country Music Made Me, give us a follow and maybe even leave us a review if you enjoyed today's episode. You can also visit our website, countrymusicmademe.com. There you can also listen to our episodes and also sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content like an acoustic performance from Gable and also stay up to date on all of our upcoming guests. Just head over to countrymusicmademe.com and hit that subscribe button. Thank you once again so much for listening and we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me.